97 yards to win it. Snap, set, Slovens kick is up. His kick hits the upright and goes through. Yes, kick is good. Yes, yes, yes. Great job, Sloman. Bank shot for Sloman. And the 2020 AFC South champions reside in the 615. <laughs> Welcome along to the Transatlantic Titans podcast. Um, I'm very fortunate to be joined by not one, not two, not three, but four of us, include what well, five if you include myself, this week. Um, we all had to come out as the AFC champions party begins. Apart from Adam, who decided he's got better things to do, but that's uh, you will hear a little bit from Adam later on. But uh, other than that, boys, AFC South champions, how does that sound? Never in doubt. Yeah, it was uh, a bit of a bit of a nail biting time on on Sunday. A lot more nail biting, I think, some of us expected. But we'll get to that. Um, plenty to talk about this week. Not only the fact that we are I can't, did I mention it? AFC South champions. Um, not only that, but we've got. A playoff game to uh, to preview and to talk about, as well as uh, everything going on with the Titans. But let's kick off with something that happened before Sunday, and something that happened uh, that was released on to social media, which is becoming more and more dangerous. Um, and that was Isaiah Wilson's video of him celebrating New Year's Eve. Uh, some would say in style. Um, it's been a bit of a mixed reaction on Twitter and on other social media platforms into what we should do with Isaiah Wilson, considering the circumstances. Brian, what's your opinion? Do we do based on the kids being 21 years old? Do, is this is there something wrong with this, or do you think that actually, you know, it's time for him to to be cut? Uh, in, in this particular instance, I actually feel like he's done nothing wrong. Uh, I know some of you will disagree with me, but he's he's not in the active roster. He's he's away from the team. Uh I, I don't I don't know how we expect to lock a twenty one year old away who's just been given millions of dollars. Uh I, I don't think he's done anything wrong in this particular instance. And uh no, I w I'm not giving up on him yet. He's showing uh he's showing that he's got the money, that's for sure. And I think pretty sure there's been two videos released now and there's been big wads of cash in both of them. Um Miles, what's your thoughts? I'm thinking I'm a big guy and I haven't played for the Titans much yet and I don't have that sort of money. I want to know where he's getting it from, all these stupid rookie deals. But, I mean, I sort of agree with Brian. And uh, on this occasion, like you said, he, he's young, he's he's out there balling, he's on social media showing what he's got and he wasn't expected to be playing for the Titans. I think he's going to need to have a bit of a uh, long look at himself uh, in the off-season if he expects anything from the Titans next year, which... But we'll obviously see what happens with that. But on this occasion, I'm just sort of, yeah. To me, it just it happened and I moved on quite quickly from it. He's uh, young and happy. First round pick. He's had three snaps all year. Three snaps where he's basically just taken a knee, which, you know, is probably the best three snaps he'll have all year, in all honesty. But nevertheless, my only reservation with with all of this is that he's clearly had issues. He's clearly in a in a situation with the team where he's been moved away from from the active roster because of the issues he's got. Now, no one really knows what those issues are. We know he's had the DUI arrest. We know there's been 
other things reported, but no one really knows the true story, which is probably why it's difficult to actually say whether it's a case of, you know, we should just cut our losses or whether we should try and persevere with him. But if you're Isaiah Wilson, or if I'm Isaiah Wilson, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that next year is the best year of my career. And I'm going in and proving every single person who's doubting him right now, proving them wrong. And that starts, doesn't start when training camp starts. It doesn't start after the season is finished. It starts now. And that's the only thing, that's the only reservation I had on the whole thing. I don't think we should cut him, by the way. I think that would be a, a foolish move for the amount of cap hit on it. But I kind of feel like even though he is only 21 years old, he probably should have his head screwed on a little bit more to realise that in this day and age of social media, you've got to be a bit smarter. Neil, what's your thoughts? Um, I mean, if you look at if you look at the facts, yeah, the fact is that we've had a lot of injuries in his position, and yet the team still saw fit to suspend him and move him away from the rest of the roster, which tells you a lot about what he's doing on the practice field and how he's contributing from a playing point of view. I think it's one of those things where, like, a first-round bust doesn't necessarily sink a team or have the long-term implications that, that people actually think it does. Maybe a quarterback would, but an, an offensive lineman, perhaps not. I'm not I'm not really there when where you would say cut him, but I think... I think it's unlikely that he's going to make a long-term impact and this might come back to bite me and I hope it does. But I think he's got Jamarcus Russell written all over him. <laughs> it's been, there's been a lot of Kevin Dodd uh, yeah. references recently. Yeah. I yeah. noticed on Twitter as well, which uh, I think it's slightly different circumstances, but you kind of feel like it could be going in that direction. I just, Harry- I just think uh, he talk, John, John Robinson talks a lot about culture and, and building a culture and accountability and things like that. And I think... To compromise that just because he won a first-round pick, for me, is slightly off-kilter, slightly naive. Yeah, I agree. Harry, what what side of the fence are you on? It feels like it's getting towards a split decision at the moment. Yeah, it's nice nice to have actually five of us and an odd number on the podcast. We can have a vote on some... Kind of like how the chase works, uh, Americans. Obviously don't know what that means. Um, But yeah, so I think he's... He's obviously got the talent and stuff. I think his mentality is just out of whack completely. Um, but then again, I say that he's got the talent, but in the one field goal block that he was on for, he got absolutely blew up. So um, it's pretty hard to tell. Um, he's young. He's 21. But and if I was 21 and got handed millions of pounds, I'd probably be dead by now. So, I mean, I can't really blame the guy for having a party and having a good time. But um, no, he definitely needs to show maturity. And I think Neil hit the, the nail on the head there with the mature, uh, with the culture and stuff like that. Vrabel doesn't really stand for anyone messing about. And um, I'm even just Jay Robbins, and I think that culture will come to bite him a little bit. Again, I don't think we cut him yet. The, the sort of cap hit's ridiculous on it, and we're worth taking a punt on him. And if we can do like what we've done this year and just remove him from the team, then we'll probably do that again next year while still paying him a ridiculous amount of money. But fair play. Yeah, I think... Uh... It'd be a shame for him to to kind of flush his uh, career down the uh, down the toilet as easy as that without really be, having a chance to make an impact. But I think we'll see how it goes. Anyway, there's only one way to start a podcast that's hosted by me. Uh, that's negatively. But let's kick on with something that look, probably the most positive that we'll probably be talking about um, for the whole of the season. 
And that is, as mentioned, AFC South champions. We needed to go and win in Houston. And we did that incredibly comfortably, didn't we? Uh, it was a, It certainly felt that way for a hell of a lot of the game. We kicked off um, quite early on and, and it, it seemed like the first couple of drives, I think, were, were both both punts. Didn't really get going. And then straight back in it with, with a nine-play, 80-yard, four-minute drive. Um, all in all, looking looking pretty pretty good. And what do you guys think? I mean, it was one of those games that you just... It was always going to be a potential banana skin. We know that the defense was always going to potentially struggle against Sean Watson. Harry, what was your uh, your overall thoughts on that on the game? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it started off a little bit slow, and then we got into such a commanding position. I think that's where all of our frustrations came into it because we were in such a sort of commanding position where we we shouldn't have been in the case of having a fellow who none of us have really heard of taking a last minute field goal. Um, to, to win the game, spoiler alert, in case you haven't watched the game there. Um, but, yeah, it's just so frustrating to watch our defence at the moment, really. And it um, it seems it's always them that lets us down. We've got the t- second best offence, I think, in the league this year. And our defence has just been awful. And actually, for the first little while, we did really well against the Texans. I thought we were doing fairly well. And then he had that three-play, 65-yard drive which was just embarrassing wasn't it so um sure what can you say apart from like what we've said and what you guys have said most the most of the time on this podcast that offense was good defense was lousy and can't tackle a a paper bag like so yeah it was a bit bit frustrating to watch as a fan as always and first first half defense stood up relatively well i think they they were moving the ball as you would expect them to do you know i think it was the second defensive drive we actually got the interception, I think, from from uh, who was it? I think it wasn't. It was Hooker, wasn't it? Okay. Mark Hooker. Yeah. So I mean, it was it, first half. I think we what was it conceded nine points. It seemed to be the second half that the defense just kind of imploded. And I actually think um, one of the biggest moments in the game actually came down to when everyone was too busy thinking or too busy counting the yards that Derrick Henry was getting, uh, to which then he did a very uncharacteristic fumble, albeit I think his second, possibly third of the year, um, that really pulled Houston right back in it. It was uh, for sure a frustrating, or not frustrating end, but certainly a frustrating second half. Was it ever really in doubt, though? Uh, I think (laughs) on their their last drive, um, when they tied it up when we held them to a field goal, I was convinced they were going to score. So, so in that in that respect, yeah, I would say it were in doubt. Uh, but it's one of them things with the defense now. They're not uh, as much as they were sort of solid in the first half. They're not suddenly going to start playing well after sixteen games. I think we've just got to ride the fact that we're gonna we're gonna leak points or try and at least get two or three stops to give the offense a chance. But it's just one of them things where. What will unfold? What we're unfolding in the second half is what we've seen all season, and I, and I, I don't see after sixteen, seventeen games that that changing. To be honest, let's talk about uh, on offense. Uh, a game that was was one hundred percent based on that second half performance in particular was was pretty much one on offense. Um, and let's just talk a, a little bit about the the winning 
what turned out to be the winning drive. So th- I think it's three plays, um, but one play in particular, uh, Tannehill to AJ Brown, which was incredible considering Tannehill can only hand the ball off to, to Derek Henry, it seems. Miles, what were your thoughts when when that was tied up? Were you thinking over time or did you think 18 seconds is enough to, to get something out of this? Well, Brown suddenly turned into like Randy Moss, but you can just toss it up there and you're fairly certain he's going to come down with the ball. I was watching highlights of the Titan season just to sort of get me more positive about the game. And I remember the three flicker play where Tannehill just caught it one handed. When you've got someone like Brown with that sort of ability, there's always a chance you can make a play. Honestly, did I see it coming that way? Not really. I, I was I was prepared for over time. I think I was about to make myself a coffee or something to get me ready for it. But it was just a it was just a ridiculous play, really. And yeah, I mean, obviously we didn't have Goskowski. He was going to be kicking. So normally I'm a bit more uh, nervous when it comes down, but it shows when I'm actually more confident in someone I've never heard of than Guskowski when it comes down to a final kick of the game to think that we might win the game. So, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm so happy we've, we found a player in Brown that can hopefully push on because each year he's getting better and better and adding that to the king of Russian, then hopefully we can uh, crack on and keep going. Yeah, and it led nicely into the, I think it was a 37-yard attempt to to win the game from Sam the Showman Slowman, which was going to be someone who we probably never thought we would see. Uh, we may never actually see again. It will be interesting to see if he ends up ends up uh, playing any more games for us. But his, um, he had, I think he had a couple of other field goal attempts, and he seemed to. I kind of like and feel kickers to golf players here, but he seems to just kind of drive straight through a lot of them. There didn't seem to be a hell of a lot of air, but when it came to a 37 yard attempt to win a game for, a, I think he's a rookie and I think I'm pretty sure it's his first year. Um, yeah. I mean, that takes, takes huge balls as well as being iced as well by, uh, uh, by the, by the Texans coaching staff just before that as well. So I think a uh, huge amount of credit has to go to him. And I think, um, I think he's been getting a hell of a lot of it as well. A lot of people call him a Titans legend, even though he's kicked the ball four times, which I think is pretty incredible. <laughs> um, Brian, some of your thoughts on, on the game as a whole. It was, uh, it was obviously an interesting one. We've also got the fourth and 11 play call to discuss. So I was going to keep that to the, uh, to the end, but yeah, Brian, talk me through your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, well, we we don't like doing things the the easy way, do we? I think was it we were thirty one fifteen up at one point. Was it thirty one fifteen? And uh, we looked totally comfortable, to be honest. Uh, obviously held them to nine points at the half, and uh, it seemed to be just a routine win. And then in true Titans fashion, I think Henry's fumble was was quite the turning point. Actually, I think it came just after they'd scored. It was the following drive from their scoring drive, and then obviously giving them good field position, they went straight back in, and then we thought, oh, <laughs> here we go yeah, again. First, first play, and it was one of those ones watching it back as well. It was, it was a bit of a freak fumble, wasn't it? Like he's already, he was already past Cunningham, and, and he just sort of throws his arm out, and Henry doesn't see it. He, he obviously loses, loses his grip on it slightly, but I think that was, um, it was a huge turning point. And just after they then subsequently scored that touchdown, we've got, we've got to talk about that fourth and eleven call. Someone, uh, in, I think, in this group might have mentioned in our in our WhatsApp group that statistically it was actually the right call to make on fourth and eleven based on the scenario that at the particular time 
I can't remember which one of you mentioned that. But <laughs> there surely isn't many of us not punting that ball away, surely. No, absolutely. You 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 can't you can't go for it on fourth and eleven. It just it just doesn't make sense. Especially how the, the where the score was at the at the time. You just knew you just knew it was gonna go wrong from there. Uh, thankfully we, we were able to come back at the end, but yeah, you put that ball all day. Just over midfield, I think we were. So yeah, I think they had fifty two yards to to get after we uh we failed on the fourth down conversion. Does any would anyone else have gone for it? No. <laughs> Not me. I think my my biggest issue were they were really conservative last week against Green Bay. Um when they sh- when they should have gone for it on fourth down, uh, they didn't trust Goskowski to kick the field goal, and then we had a punt for what net seven yards, and then yeah. and then the week later we're going for it just over halfway on fourth and eleven. I mean, I think that's Vrabel in a nutshell, to be honest. I mean, it, it, it makes a call like that, which makes you absolutely rage. But then, obviously, the AJ Brown catch with eighteen seconds to go makes you think, well, he coaches at both ends of the spectrum. Sometimes he's really frustrating and sometimes he's a genius. I just wish he'd come closer to middle sometime and be less erratic. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think it was... It, I, I think I'm punting that away all day long. The only thing I did... I think I mentioned this as well in, when we were chatting in our WhatsApp group was it, it actually was... I, st- I still wouldn't have gone for it. I think that's pretty much pretty well documented now. But I think... In, a, in its mini way, with the way the defence was was giving up yardage and giving up points, I actually don't think it was the worst thing. Uh, they ended up scoring subsequently off the back of that in just under three minutes, six plays for their 52 yards. If Brett Kern's punting that within the 10, which he probably is from, from, from where he's punting it from, there's a very good chance that a lot more time is taken off that clock and you mentioned, I mean, look, you know, there's still a long, long time to go in that game. I think there's still probably another 10 minutes left of the of the fourth quarter, if not more. And we go on a, after they do get that touchdown, we go on a eight and a half minute drive, 19 plays to score again. So there's a lot of football left to be played. But if it wasn't, if it was for a case that we had punted that right back into the to our own 10, as much as this field there for the defense to get them off, does anyone actually fancy them doing that? And actually, is that something that actually could have saved us the game when you think about it in a really weird and probably wrong way? So I'm not saying that's why Vrabel did it. I think he did it for completely different reasons. But in its own weird way, I think it could have actually saved us to some extent. It, it wouldn't shock me if that, that came into Vrabel's thoughts, to be honest. If he, yeah. if he, I mean, I think you could see his expressions under his face mask every time the defence were giving up chunk yardage. I think it could... It could sense that they weren't stopping anybody, and it wouldn't surprise me if that did come into his thoughts a little bit. Yeah. One. Uh, I, I one still uh, think. Sorry, Harry. So I still think though, with over ten minutes of the game, you can't be coaching to the clock. Unless, yeah. yeah. Unless you know, it's too much of a risk to say, "Oh well, we'll let them score quickly, and then we'll go on a." Because, like Greg said, the drive afterwards took ages for the Giants. That wasn't the issue. The you know we could have played quick ball there as Tannehill shown I think he's got the league high in in last minute comebacks or wins um, in the league this year like he's shown that he can go pretty quick and do a last minute drive that's no dramas um, I just don't think that as Vrabel can coach the clock with ten minutes left to go with us in a in a good position to then pin them back deep and going back to what we said about him being frustrated he's been that way since we saw him in London 
you know, we were commanding the game against them. And uh, I think if we go to overtime and kick the extra point in, against the Chargers then we win the game. But that's going way back and getting super frustrated about something two years ago. He's always been that way and he always will be. Um, and it's a, a huge positive when it comes off like a genius. But equally, that last play to Brown could have been intercepted for pick six. So we can't have it both ways and say that he can be a genius or, or an idiot. He's just an aggressive coach, and that's the way that he's going to be. And it's hella frustrating to watch as a fan. I mean, that last play, uh, or that last drive, that play call is 100% Arthur Smith. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Vrabel's calling deep shot downfield to AJ Brown at that particular point. Um, but I think you know, we, we were put in a situation where we were tied up. And that, that is a kind of, uh, there might have been a, yeah, I think we should just go for this, try and get the field goal or try and get ourselves in a position to get the field goal, which might have come from Vrabel. But the play call was, uh, and, and the defensive play call was absolutely equally as stunning. Leaving the, the middle of the field wide open for someone like AJ Brown was just a stunning decision from, from Houston. Um, talking of, of yeah, Houston. Yeah, I think, I think uh, sorry, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill had said that Vrabel had, Given the nod on the t- touchline, said we're going, we're going for it. So, uh, and then obviously AJ Brown noticed the coverage, and he, he said something about he was hoping that they didn't move into cover two because he knew he knew he was open if if they didn't, and obviously they didn't. They had the perfect play call lined up. That was uh, quite interesting to read. Yeah. I think I think Harry's nailed it there because I think I, I put in Facebook group at the time while it was happening. I hate Mike Rabel sometimes, and I really don't. It's just in that moment, you, you're so frustrated that you need to lash out. And I, I really don't hate the guy, but at times he just really, he makes a, I'm trying to think of a Barnsleyism for, for the, <laughs> for how he makes a, a, yeah, a sousier out of a silk purse sometimes. It's, it's ironic with Mike Vrabel, and this is actually because you, you hear him in his uh, in, a, in a lot of his presses, and, and something he's come out with a couple of times this year is around not doing dumb stuff. And it, it does feel like with Vrabel, there's some, sometimes some of his decisions are actually edging on the side of dumb, and you kind of sit there and think, well, you've got to kind of practice as you preach. But I, I completely agree with Harry in regards to you've got to take the rough with the smooth with Mike Vrabel because you know you're going to get these balls he calls. You know you're going to get some questionable calls and sometimes they're going to look horrendous and end up being horrendous as we were all thinking when we went for it on 4th and 11. Uh, but sometimes the, the, there are marks then of genius, which we saw right at the end of the game, luckily in our favour. that No one wants to go for what is essentially, for us this year with the defence we've got, no one wants a, a coin flip game, right? Because if they get that ball, there's no way we're, there's no way we're stopping them. Um the best case, you're stopping them to a field goal. Uh, I really don't think we're, we're stopping them completely. Maybe the 2019 Titans, but not but not the 2020. Speaking of Houston, um, finished the season 4-12. and 12. There was an interesting video I saw on, on social media of uh, JJ Watt essentially apologising to, uh, to Deshaun Watson, saying that there's no way that that team should be 4-12. Uh, and 12. They should have 11 wins. They didn't look like an 11-win team, even with the players they had out. Um, they look nowhere, nowhere near that pace. But uh, I'm sure Watson will still be in with a better chance of getting an MVP of Derek Henry, who's who we need to talk about now because we've kind of neglected the feats that he uh, he did get on Sunday, um, a bit like some of the media have as well. 2,000 rushing yards in the year, 
we were all saying last week it's going to be a tough room to get the the yardage. I think it's two hundred and twenty three that you needed, but what an achievement from what has to be the best running back in football right now, um, and becoming slowly becoming a, a hall of famer. I think that's probably fair to say. What was uh, what was your miles? What was your thoughts on on his performance? It was two hundred and fifty yards, and it kind of felt like nowhere near that. It was another nice quiet two fifty. It was. It was another classic Henry performance. I think we'd said the week before as well, didn't we? That he, he'd racked up yards at Green Bay where you just had no idea. He almost got 100 yards. And it's like, it's. I think it's just because his strides are so big and you don't appreciate. Like his touchdown was for 50 yards. And I was there, like, it, it was so, it happened so fast. That it was almost like, oh, then we must have been near the red zone. But now you look at it, it's like a 52 yarder. He's just, uh, I mean, I, I'd put in the WhatsApp group that I think to get back-to-back seasons as the Russian uh, title holder and 2K in terms of yardage, I'm not going to guarantee, ever guarantee someone a Hall of Fame, but like, there's not much more you need from the running back position to sort of say, what else do you want me to do, apart from arguably the Super Bowl, which obviously we'll get in a couple of months' time. Um, but as just as a performer, I mean, there's a couple of running backs out there that people always argue about. Everyone loves Alvin Kamara because they feel like he can do everything. But I don't think he can – I just don't think he can do what Henry does, where he can – he had, what, probably 300 – I'm sure it was close, like 380 carries or something this year. And let's be honest, the fumbles that he's had, the fumble against Houston was just a freak one. And his only other one, it's like he's so safe with the ball and never looks like he's going to get injured because he's just 99% muscle, that you can rely on him. You can hand off the ball to him and not think, oh, something might not. Like, every time Deion Lewis got the ball, Deion Lewis is getting a shout-out again. Every time he got the ball, I thought something terrible was going to happen. Whereas with Henry, it's the polar opposite. It's like, you know that if he only gets two yards in the first quarter, it's like, well, that turns into 20 yards in the fourth quarter because he just gets better and better. And hopefully next year, he keeps on getting better and better. I mean, back-to-back-to-back is uh, something that I know the Buckies will... uh, be taking some money from me from, but I, I can't see why not. I, I don't I don't see a running back out there that does what he does. Uh, and he's like, what, he was 500 yards ahead of second, I think. I know, obviously, Dalvin Cook missed uh, a, a couple of games, but not much more you can say. He ran 2,000 yards, and it's just an amazing accomplishment. I think, I think Derek Henry was seventh overall just against the AFC South or something like that, I read. Um, yeah, an incredible season. Uh, I, I think there's there's many words we can say about the man. I think he's um, it's interesting that probably a, a year and a half or two years ago we were all sitting there, uh, well not all of us, but certainly some of us were, were willing to to almost give up on the guy who was running a bit too soft and uh, and wasn't wasn't really getting any real joy. Um, but in the last couple of years, he's just gone from strength to strength, and it's great to see. Um, I think I think it one of those things, especially when they were a rookie. I think because he, he thought he were fast, he had to run fast. So he bounced it outside a lot and tried to get tried to tried to get up the sideline. And I think it's it's took a couple of seasons for him to think, right, running straight lines because you're bigger and more powerful than the person that you're running at. And I think he, he played like a scat back because he is fast. And I think it just took a bit more bit more focus for him to to realise what he is essentially. I think looking back as well at that, it also comes from almost being mentored by DeMarco Murray in his first couple of years as well. Like DeMarco Murray was very much of a one cut back and then try and get to the edge as much as possible. He, yeah, he did run forward, but he didn't run forward 
and constantly knock people on their ass like Henry does. And that's the one thing that I love about Henry. He'll always fall forward. Doesn't matter whether he's getting gang tackled by three people, he'll still fall forward, even if it is still for a two yard game, uh, two yard loss or, or whatever. So, yeah, we're very lucky to have him. And, and he, you see it so much now with Ryan Tannehill and, and the, the options that they run where Tannehill's could practically walk for, for a touchdown half the time or you know, do whatever, walk backwards for all he cares, moonwalk to, to the line because safeties and linebackers constantly follow where Henry's going, which is great. Yeah, you, get, think the ball, it... you get the ball inside that five-yard five line. Tannehill's getting rushing touchdowns all year, I think, the, the focus. And I think it was actually a touchdown in this game against Houston was a fine example of that. You just saw their, all of their linebackers follow Henry, which you can understand, but it just makes, makes it too easy sometimes. Sorry, Neil. I think, sorry, I think Henry's uh, mental strength is an underrated aspect of his game as well, because I think everybody nowadays is, is expecting monster video game numbers. And if he, if he has the first couple of quarters and maybe into the third quarter and he's, uh, he's got 40 yards on 16 carries, it, it don't let it affect him. He don't go into his shell. He just carries on running straight at, straight at the guy in front of him and tries to grind out them yards. And, and more often than not, he does. I think his mental strength's a, a huge aspect of his game. I also think he brings everyone else out around him. Um, I think the reason why we've had two receivers, one over a thousand yards, one just under, I think it was, I can't remember how many yards short it was, maybe 20 odd yards, maybe less. The fact we've had that is because of the attention that Henry is getting. They're stacking boxes every single play if he's in, if he's on that field. Um, now, look, there's a lot more to it than that. I think you have to give Tannehill credit and, and obviously credit to the to the receivers and for, for making making the plays, but the attention he gets has to open up that passing game and give opportunities to not only those two guys, but opportunities then to players also like Ferkser, who's always a reliable pair of hands, always seems to catch at least a ball or two a game, which I think is a huge credit to, to how Arthur Smith and Rabel have built this offense and, and how the roster has been built from, from Robinson from the top down. So huge amount of credit and, and an amazing achievement. One that I actually don't think has been talked about enough. I know it's been talked about a lot on Tyson's Twitter, but outside of that, I don't think you can underestimate just how difficult 2,000 yards in the NFL season, regular season is. Yeah. Uh, I think only it was eight other guys have done it. Um, yeah. Obviously one we know very, very well. Um, and if you look at the names that have done it, they are... Hall of Famers, and, and they are the guys that have a hell of a lot of respect in this league. So I think, um, look, we're all going to say he's MVP. I'm pretty sure about that. I don't think there's anyone else who uh, who would disagree with that. But um, I, I obviously, I can't see Rogers not getting it with with obviously how the the media work in the US in particular. So it would be a shame for him not to get it. But what an crazy, crazy and amazing achievement, nevertheless. And then let's move on. Um, so we've got a winning in situation that we've we've gone ticked AFC South champions for the first time since 2008. We move on to Baltimore. And before we get the last thoughts, we're going to hand you over to uh, Adam Foxcroft, uh, who spoke to Adam Barton earlier today um, to talk a little bit about Baltimore. Over to you, Foxy. Joining us now, we have for the second time this year, as promised, uh, Adam Barton from the, the 99 yards and, well, and other places. Um, how are you, Adam? No, all good, thanks. Just getting re uh, ready for the uh, the new normal Mark Three, I guess you could call it. How are you doing? 
<laughs> yeah, good, thank you. Um, it's it seems rarer when we're not in lockdown at, at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's all too normal, unfortunately. Uh, I think when we last spoke, um, I said we'll speak again during the playoffs, um, and here we are in the in the playoffs, the wild card round. Um, I think it's fair to say that Baltimore have probably accelerated into the playoffs more than Tennessee have. Um, you've had a good-looking end to the year when well, I, don't, I don't know if COVID, the COVID outbreak was a watershed or or what it was, but I'm guessing you're going to be a bit more confident and bullish than the last time we spoke. Uh, I, I'm definitely a, a bit more confident. I don't think this is the uh, the 14 and two team uh, of last year, but equally, there's uh, a few injuries that the Ravens had last year, particularly Mark Andrews and Mark Ingram, who while they played, they weren't. Uh, that they weren't as effective as they were, and and you couldn't really game plan around it. You, as you mentioned about the the COVID outbreak, I think it was it did mark a, a point in the season of the sort of expectation from 2019 ending. And right, we've just got to get backs against the wall, get the results, because otherwise we're going to end up out of the playoffs altogether. So I, I don't know whether there was a lot of team building around that sort of time, but they've they've definitely stepped on it. I have to say they've had quite a, an easy schedule down the stretch, so that's uh, that's definitely helped with the uh, the the building of momentum. I think um, it, certainly when looking at the um, how because obviously until week sixteen the Ravens were on the outside looking in. You yeah, part yeah. because they were on the outside looking in. You had to look at well, right, where are people getting their results? But equally with with their schedule, you you, you kind of knew the Ravens' win was it was sorted. It was a case of who was going to help you out when when needed. Um, so. <laughs> It's it's going to be an interesting one to see how they do against proper opposition for the first time really since I, I don't know if you can even count that Steelers game because obviously that was that was the COVID game um so probably yeah, the Titans yeah. game yeah uh, that seems seems crazy when you because that seems quite a quite a long time ago but you can only beat who's in front of you and when you're doing that as conv- convincingly as as the Ravens have been um it. It seems like, I mean, it didn't seem an easy game to to go on into Baltimore on the road in the regular season. It's not going to be any easier, even in Nashville this time, I don't think. Um, I mean, the Titans come back on the, well, on the back of a Week 17 win against Houston, which I think was important for a lot of reasons. Yeah, momentum. Um, it, that would have been on the you know, coming into the playoffs with two defeats, potentially tricky. Um, but on the back of that win, it feels it feels like everything the Titans' office is doing is is great. The defensive side, not so much. Um, conversely, I mean, I find it hard to believe that Lamar Jackson, um, Dobbins, all you, all the Baltimore receivers aren't going to score plenty of points against the Titans. Um, any reason to disagree with that? Uh, I I don't disagree with that. I think it's the case of which. A defensive line can, can which team can stop the run without selling out to stop the run it will probably be the the key element of this mm-hmm. game obviously um but the uh the secondaries of both teams are are, are quite <laughs> quite easy to get at i think uh, so we'll we'll have to wait and see but whoever can stop the run without having to to load the box i think has a, a real good chance i think from the, from the baltimore offense perspective when you've got lamar um, and all the extra options he brings, it's it gets it becomes even harder to stop the run, um, because that run can come from <laughs> from different places. Um, I think 
when we spoke before, you were maybe not suggesting he was regressing, but weren't as happy with his performances pre- previous year. Um, do you think he's starting to hit his straps? I think I think he's definitely stepped it up a gear. Again, there's the uh, the point of the, the the easier opponents that they've had over sure, the last five yeah. years. So you've definitely got to take that into account. Uh, but he's the the the, the offense is gelling. Um, when when the Ravens weren't playing well around when we spoke last, that it wasn't while Lamar Jackson wasn't playing his best football. It was it was a team issue. It wasn't just all on his back that he the the problem was him. But everything seems to be gelling quite a lot. I know it was only the Bengals on on Sunday, but I feel it's gone quite underreported that the Ravens on on Sunday had the fourth most rushing yards ever in an NFL game. That's that's how <laughs> that's how much they were running the ball on on them, um, which was largely J.K. Dobbins. But he only had 160 yards, which out of 404 isn't that many sort of thing. If you see what I'm saying. Uh, it was it was evenly spread between between Jackson, Dobbins, uh, Ingram had a few for the first time in a while, uh, and yeah, but equally it was just the Bengals. Four hundred and four is absolutely mental, though. <laughs> I yeah. haven't heard that actually. That's incredible. Um, the, the other side of the ball. I started. Uh, the problem was just as I started uh, starting to track it against the like what's the what's the record sort of thing. Was obviously obviously they were starting to bring backups in with with playoffs coming but it was right when it started slowing up as I was just like get off it get off it because obviously I'm jinxing it in some way but uh, it was was a bit disappointing as they sort of slowed up but but you know you've got to focus on getting the win and uh, and keeping players healthy for the next week. Well funnily enough we had our own issues there with uh, trying to get Derek Henry to 2k which happened in the end but I feel that that distracted the team a little bit at one stage um, <laughs> well, whether it's conscious or not who knows um, speaking of Derek Kemry uh, he's obviously going to be a, a key um, and a key to Baltimore winning and having success is surely going to be stopping him or at least slowing him down that didn't particularly happen in the regular season obviously it didn't happen in the, the playoffs last year can the Baltimore defense do anything different or or try and stop that train I think it depends a lot on uh, Calais Campbell's fitness, uh, and and Janik Ngokwe was a, a scratch on uh, against against the Bengals. So it depends what what the as I said was saying earlier what the defensive line can do and whether they have to start uh, start selling out, start committing more players to to stopping Derek Henry and keeping on well keeping the Titans off schedule I guess rather than anything. Um, but then you've just got to be aware of making sure that Tannehill's not going to hit you because he had. A, a long bomb and a few runs himself. I seem to remember in the playoff game. It's, it's funnily yeah. enough dropped out of my memory that game. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think they're probably better equipped. There's, they have absolutely no excuses. Um, and if anything, the the game against the the, the Pats earlier this season is is more the yardstick of we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen because that's it, it wasn't the same ability as Derek Henry's running ability, and yet the the Ravens run over quite easily. But I think. To an extent, it is a different different team of we've got a front up, um, which they they didn't so much have. They more had an expectation amongst themselves of winning, I think, early in the season. Whereas now they feel they've got to earn it a bit more. Maybe it does feel like the kind of game or the kind of matchup that neither offense can af- afford to make too many mistakes. It feels like that every week for us um, <laughs> at the moment. But um, it yeah, it could be it could be high scoring. Um, it could be incredibly exciting. Uh, what's your gut feel? Um, how do you 
do you feel the chances of winning are good? I think I think I did predict the the Ravens to win on um, when we played you guys earlier this season, but I I definitely wasn't confident about that one. I'm, I, <laughs> Maybe you should change tactics. Yeah, <laughs> well, the Ravens are underdogs at the end of the day, which to an extent they still weren't um, earlier this season, let alone in the in the playoffs last year. It depends how much the um, each team can sort of rely on their second, their, not their secondary, but their, their second offensive option of passing the ball in terms of whether Marquise Brown will catch the ball when uh, when the, when he gets open deep because it's probably going to happen at some point with with the Titans trying to stop the run uh, and and likewise um, with with the Titans receivers and AJ Brown particularly um, but I'm I'm reasonably confident but I think the Titans will probably edge it are, are there um, are there fans in the stadium in in Tennessee at the moment yeah there are there's sort, of, sort of the usual 15 20 percent thing. I think that even though it's not a full crowd, it could make make a bit of difference just on the odd call, which uh, and and whether Henry's run for nine or ten yards on first down. Um, so whether you're keeping the chains moving, that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. I I think the Titans will probably edge it, but it'll I don't think it'll be an easy game by any means. No, it's it's definitely not. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be easy. I, I've got all sorts of butterflies about it, and the 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 fact that it's happened. You know, the Titans have got two relatively recent wins in in Baltimore. Just adds to that. I'm sure adds to that motivation. Um, you know, the Ravens aren't aren't going to turn up in Nashville and yeah accept defeat or accept anything other than. <laughs> An incredibly strong performance. Um, uh, yeah, and they always were big dogs. The yeah. I don't know what it is, but t- twenty twelve and two thousand when they were when everyone was writing them off, they they performed far better than the far better than they ever do when they were performed as, as shown with the fourteen and two season in, on the reverse. Well, that's how it how it can often go. Um, obviously, two thousand and eight springs to mind for for us the last time that. The Titans won the division. Um, another home playoff game against the Ravens back then. That didn't go so well. Um, I mean, if you if the Ravens get through, I mean, how do you? I mean, if if you're obviously predicting a narrow, a narrow defeat, but um, can they go a lot further if they do get a win? It it depends on what happens with the seeding, I think, because there's um, it looks like it will probably be Buffalo or Kansas City. Um, and I don't Buffalo fancy look- either. I certainly don't. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, with, with the the way the the schedule was on Sunday, I was thinking. Obviously, it seemed that everything was sorted on uh, in the early games for us because I, I'd assumed the Titans would quite easily beat the Texans. Uh, but as soon as that became a close game, I was suddenly uh, <laughs> we wide don't, we don't do things like that. It doesn't. That's yeah. not how it goes. <laughs> Apparently, it was one of those of oh, okay, this this directly affects the Ravens, completely unexpected. But uh, I, I think I'd probably rather fl- face the Colts, but. You know, with the position we were in, you've got to uh, got to take what you're given and yeah. get a bit of revenge. Hopefully, it was a weird one for for the Titans in Week 17 because Buffalo and Miami were playing in the early window, and we knew that if Buffalo won, that a playoff spot was so would be sewn up. But equally, yeah. we knew that if Buffalo won, it would be likely to be against Baltimore rather than Miami. Um, so. While I was sort of pleased, um, there's a backhanded compliment here somewhere. We'd have much preferred to face the Dolphins than the Ravens, that's for sure. Um, but you know, they're, they're not meant to be easy. It's the playoffs. So I was going to say, it's, whoever wins is going to be a, a build-up for the uh, 
the, as, I, as I said, probably the Chiefs or Bills. And I think you're going to need that playoff experience to, to face either one of those two teams at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It could be could be peaking quite quite soon who knows um yeah thanks thanks for joining us again and yeah hope hopefully we can uh, i'm not sure we're playing you next year actually um but i checked it i haven't checked the uh the, the schedule for next season quite yet but uh yeah we'll, we'll have to see and if not i'm uh, happy to come on and uh speak some talk some titans at some point as well absolutely i can't and um, we've We've chatted about doing the the sort of history stuff as well um, with the the Ravens and Browns and the Titans and Oilers, um, which would be great to get into that at some point. Um, in the meantime, where can where can keep people catch you and uh, other work that you do? Well, I uh, I write uh, on on ninety nine yards, so you can find my, my pieces there along with a few other great writers for a UK perspective of the NFL, um, as well as college football and and, and CFL. And you can also find me on Twitter at abarton93 for some random musings and some complaints about American and British politics as well. <laughs> I'd, I'd say we'd never got into politics on this podcast, but I, that would probably be a lie. Not in a massive way, <laughs> but it's all good. Right. Um, yeah. Thanks again, Adam. And uh, all the best for after the weekend. I can't say anything else other than that. Um, but yeah, we'll catch you again soon. Big soon. Cheers. Thanks, both Adams. I haven't heard what Adam Burton is going to say, but I'm assuming he's going to be saying an easy Baltimore win and we're going to sh- show him and prove to him why he's wrong. Um, but, or are we? I'm starting to question that myself now. But um, Baltimore at home, a home playoff game. I mean, that just seems crazy to think about. Um, what do we think? Brian, we... We're owed one, aren't we? We've had we've had two two wins against Baltimore in 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 the last two years. If we make it free, see, yeah, that's that's kind of my big fear. <clears throat> the the law of averages says that we're we're going to lose this one, um, and really, with our defence, you just don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what's going to happen. We probably realistically should have lost the regular season game against them. To be honest, uh, apart from a ridiculous comeback to be honest um, but I, I don't know I, the Ravens are good but we're good their offence isn't as good as ours uh, their defence is better than ours it, it could literally be anything well that's that's back me over. I think I think everyone's pretty much going to be uh, have not having a clue what's, what's going on to be honest but Harry what what have we got to stop to to win this game? And how different is this game going to be to a year ago in the wild card round? Yeah, well, first of all, it's not in not in Baltimore. That I would love to say that helps, but the stadium capacity is only twenty one percent, so we don't really have <laughs> a huge home advantage. Um, look, it's it's obviously a huge ask whenever you go up against a, a dual threat quarterback like Lamar Jackson and the receiving core that they have and the, the tight ends they have, and we hate defending tight ends. Um, I can't even remember the guy who was playing for the Texans this week, but God, we made him look like he was peak prime Gronkowski. Like he, he was amazing at tight end. To be I've honest, never seen to be honest so, we, ain't def- we ain't defending football players, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I. The one positive, and I think it's a weird one that I come come with, um, just hear me out on this, but the lack of pass rush. 
might actually be an advantage when we're facing Lamar Jackson. Purely because if we can't really flush him too much, then he can't do what he loves doing, which is scampering about. And, and hopefully we come up with a similar game plan as we did the year, last year in the playoffs where, yes, OK, he got a lot of yards, but none of the yards were actually good yards. They were sort of scampers on a, on a third and seven and he gets five yards rather than the seven that he needed. So maybe if we don't rush him too much, then he can't come out the pocket like he wants to as much as he wants to. And we actually force him to throw. Um, obviously that's made a lot harder when they've got great running backs as well and a good receiving core and we've got I mean injuries all over the shop and no pass rush whatsoever I was actually chatting to my cousin who lives in Nashville and we we looked back at our pre-season predictions and we said that we might end up top five in sacks this year because of how good good we were looking and uh, well that's got me some egg on my face but Look, I think we've, we've actually got a chance. I think if Henry gets going early and we, we've got a mumbling, and if AJ Brown doesn't get up looking all gammy every time he has, has a catch, then I think we could be in business. But um, I am seriously worried about our defence as much as I joke about our lack of pass rush might actually be an advantage. It is still a huge disadvantage. Um, the, way, the only thing I got from that, Harry, is I think you must be our own Adam Rank with your predictions. Uh, definitely definitely not, not great. Um, no... Uh, I think I think Lamar Jackson ran about fifteen thousand yards in the playoff game last year, but most of it was sideways, and that's kind of what you have to do with him. You have to stop him making those big plays with his feet. I kind of understand, I kind of agree to an extent with where you're coming from in terms of the pass rush, but that is the time. And also, I'm fed up with hearing commentators saying ex quarterback time in the po- or time in the pocket or you know has loads of time. I'm fed up with hearing it from commentators and. Not having that pass rush is um, is crippling this defense even more so than than some of the questionable uh, secondary plays that we've seen. Miles, uh, you're 100% certain to say we're going to the Super Bowl. So how are we winning this game? Oh, comfortably. Um, well, maybe not comfortably. Uh, it wouldn't be the Titans' way to be comfortable. I mean, the Ravens are probably the hottest team out there at the moment in terms of form outside of maybe Buffalo who would have been maybe one of the other options that we play against. I mean, they've just had 404 yards rushing against the Bengals. Granted, it's the Bengals, but still, that's one hell of a stat that you've got to come up against. And I was looking back to the Ravens game last time, and one of the ways that we stopped them was a couple of huge fourth down stops. And we're struggling against third down stops, let alone let alone fourth down stops. So it's going to take a lot of um, a lot of heart from the defense. But I feel it just comes to the point where Derek Henry's got the title now, and it just seems to be something that the Ravens don't like. The Ravens just don't like playing against him, and I think it's going to be one of them games very similar in Baltimore where we're going to see a lot of Henry, and we're going to maybe surprise them with a few um, plaction passes downfield where, you know, you're going to see Brown maybe getting a few touches downfield and the same with Corey Davis. It's it's one of them games where I'm sort of with uh, Harry where the lack of pass rush to me doesn't make a difference. There's no point in rushing him because you rush him and he'll just sidestep you. So it is almost like having all your linebackers and defensive linemen just guarding on QB guarding and just letting him, forcing him basically to play. Everyone knows he can throw a football, but it's not his forte as it were. And I feel that that could come into our advantage and hopefully it does so. So I just think that we might have a bit, it's going to be a high scoring game. I don't ever think we were going to be relying on our defense to win us this game. It's going to come down to a couple of turnovers and hopefully 
we're on the positive end of them turnovers. Maybe Kevin Bard can step up and have a pick towards the end of the game and then we'll just run for 11 minutes and finish off the game. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm quietly confident. Um, I'm more confident this year than I was last year against the Ravens, which um, either says that 2020 broke me so much that I'm crazy <laughs> or that Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry feel like they can uh, get a performance out for us. The last time we played Baltimore in Nashville, um, we lost 16-0 in what was the most pressing game yeah. I've ever seen uh, as a Titans, game, uh, Titans fan. Sorry. I don't think this is going to be 16-0 this time around, um, but I kind of agree. I think it will be a high-scoring game. Um, we've talked a bit about the defence and the lack of pass rush and, and how we can stop the Ravens, but I suppose it's uh, how we're going to put the points on the Ravens that's the big thing. And uh, aside from Derek Henry... What's the key to, to winning this now? I think, um, to be honest, like I think Addy's onto something with the, the lack of pass rush. Like, because obviously, if you if you put that ball, uh, that game on Lamar Jackson's arm, I'll I'll back Ryan, Ryan Tannehill's arm against Lamar Jackson's nine times out of ten, which I think I think it is going to be a shootout. And I think if you like a bet, I think bet, betting the over is going to be pretty much buying money because I think there's going to be close to hundred points in this game, maybe. Um, but I think I think the key to this game is pitting Ryan Tannehill's arm against Lamar Jackson's arm and see who wins. There you go, Transatlantic Titans say back the overs, and here we go, waiting for a nine-six game that's coming up. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a battle. I think this one. Um, I went into the game last year with no expectation and just a little bit of hope uh, that we'd be able to beat to beat the Ravens. This year we are the underdogs with the bookies. We are, uh, which I like. I actually like that we are. I'm pretty sure all the media in the in the US in the NFL media are going to be uh, are going to be picking picking the Ravens as they've come into form. My big concern with the Ravens is that rush game. That uh, they've sort of picked up their running game a hell of a lot in recent weeks. J.K. Dobbins is starting to look like the running back that he wasn't earlier in the year, um, and I do think they'll run the ball a lot against us this this coming. Sunday is it Sunday? Yeah, um, and I think that's going to be there's going to be a definitely a battle to to try and get some of the time on the clock that we can that we can then do damage on offense. You don't you don't want time possession being in their favor, which I, I kind of do fear a little bit. But I'm not too worried. I agree. I'm, I'm not too worried about Lamar throwing the ball. I'm more worried about him handing it off to Dobbins and him scampering away for for big chunks of yardage. If, so if I think, I sorry, if I remember rightly, last year. I think uh, in the playoff game, uh, Correa, Kamalai Correa, like spied Lamar Jackson a lot. I think uh, it was that, that obvious what he were doing that when Lamar Jackson went to the toilet at half time, Correa was sat in there <laughs> waiting <laughs> for him. Uh, so maybe that's something that possibly Darren Bates or somebody could do. Uh, but it seemed to be really effective. I wonder if they'll draw up that, that kind of game plan again. Just maybe take, take one of our defenders out of the equation and purely make it one on one. With him and Lamar, and then ten v ten all over the field. That actually yeah. kind of makes sense, especially with a lesser pass rush. If we are only going to rush three or four each time, uh, you know, we enjoyed the blitzes this this week just gone. But I think if you're doing that against the Ravens, oh, you're you're playing a very risky game. So yeah, yeah. It just makes, makes perfect sense. Really, it's just who you do it because you can't put a lineman in there; they're too slow. You can't really put a corner in there or a safety because else your lineups and your matchups are all all skew if everywhere. Yeah. To be honest. Lamar's so quick that you need the quick, a quicker than quick sort of linebacker as well. So, 
Bates is a good special team player, though. He could definitely do it. Absolutely. I think it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting battle, this. Um, I'm quietly confident, which is uh, quite worrying. Which Because um, I, I do feel like on offence, we've got, I think, too much for them. It's just whether we can get them off the field enough. I think that's going to be the key. Getting, getting stops, keeping them to field goals, not touchdowns. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, we can get ourselves through another round, and we've all we can all start talking about the divisional round next week. But uh, yeah, we won't be counting any chickens. Um, before we move on to non-Titans related some news that's been coming out uh, seemingly since the weekend, and that's obviously with uh, a lot of jobs coming up and running um, in recent days and weeks. And Arthur Smith has been linked with uh, or been requested to be interviewed for six different head coach jobs. Um, I won't list all six teams. We've had issues in recent years where uh, continuity has been pretty much non-existent and it pretty much, I, I think, is a big, big factor as to why Mariota didn't quite hit it off in, in the way that he probably could have done. Um, I actually think is this is really, really important to keep Arthur Smith and this offence together um, because if you look at that schedule next year, that schedule it looks horrific. There's games both at home and on the road against top, top NFL teams. And losing Arthur Smith now will be uh, will be a big big miss. Any of you boys worried that we might end up having to go with a brand new OC, or are we worried that Mike Rabel might take that job on as well? Uh-huh. I think it sounds inevitable with the amount of teams that are interested in him. To be honest, but I would counter by saying that a lot of the teams that are interested in talking to him, the fan base doesn't seem too excited. You want to go to a situation where you're really wanted and where you can make a long-term thing of it. And I think I think he's underwhelmed a few other fan bases, that teams that are interested in him. And I think looking from his point of view, he's in a good situation now where he's, he's pretty much carved a job out for himself as long as he wants it. I think there's better opportunities down the line than the, there is available this year. Yeah, Brian, what's your, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of inevitable that he goes as well. Like, there's six... six did you say 16 from yeah. requesting an interview? Yeah, yeah, I mean, if he, if he gets off on a job, you'd have to think he'd take it. Uh, you, you wouldn't blame him. Um, but we'd probably hire from within again. Uh, so I'm not too worried about the continuity there, to be honest. You've got half the AFC South, including in that six teams as well, both the... Uh... The Texans and the Jags, which is, I, I actually think it's quite interesting. I'm not sure whether we will end up at either of those two teams, but the Jags with a uh, with the cap space that they've got and all the picks that they've got, I mean, that has to be if you can be trusted with the Khans and they actually are able to pick a, uh, some decent players in the draft and they can get a GM who can do that, you'd have to be quite excited with the potential that one has. But it'll be very interesting. Miles, are you hoping that he stays? Are you expecting him to go? What impact do you think it will have on the long-term future? I think I almost feel like it'd be silly for him to decide to go, but it'd also be equally stupid for the Titans to not do everything they can to try and keep hold of him because they've seen what's happened this year with not having a proper defensive coordinator. Unless they're completely blind to it and they think it's completely fine, it's come close to destroying our season in what is a very talented team completely unable to actually defend against higher or lower opposition. So I feel like the Titans as a team really need to try and, I mean, I don't know how much they can actually offer to try and keep him from going, but I don't know. It depends on the options that you've got out there. I mean, 
don't I, I just can't see him going to the Jags or Houston. As much as the Jags have got all them cap space and picks, the same with Houston. I, to me, they're just not tempting offers. And like Detroit, I'm assuming, are probably one of them. And it's like, again, these aren't really that tempting offers for me. When you're with a team where you're building up a reputation, at the start of the year, I bet if you ask most NFL fans, they wouldn't have a clue who he was. And now he's built up a reputation. And everyone's saying how good this offense is. Why would you? Why would you not do it for another year while the team is still at a great age? Henry's only going to get better. Tannehill is again surrounded by Corey Davis and Brown, who are both young receivers. Same with Johnny Smith. To me, this offense could only get better and better. And this is the opportunity to stick with them and build your reputation more than going to the Jags and having a two and whatever season. To me, it'd be a, it'd be a silly decision to leave, but sometimes money can take over or family or whatever. I don't know his situation, but to me, it'd be stupid to leave at this time. It's been a meteoric rise. The um, the one thing I, I was going to note, I think the Chargers are one of those teams, um, one of the six that, that have been requested an interview. I mean, having Justin Herbert probably would be, would be exciting for most offensive coordinators. Uh, Harry, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, two quick things. Just first of all, he's grown up in the organisation. Um, the Titans organization, which I think actually probably does play quite a big role in this. He's gone from tight end coach to, I think it was like offensive video technician fella who's just sort of watching tape the whole time. You know, like he's he's come a long way in, in, in the system. Um, and, and hopefully that law, he does go quite a long way in this situation because realistically the Titans can't do that much to keep him. We can't give him a promotion of sorts or anything like that. Um, maybe a bit more money thrown his way, but apart from that, that's it kind of thing. And secondly, uh, college football this year has really suffered. Obviously, in the States, there's not been as many games. There's not been as many programs. There's probably not as many head coaches that are going to get headhunted because of that um, or take a job as well with the uncertainty that college football has provided this year. So unlike last year where you saw Matt Rule go into the pro and I think I think one other coach as well, I don't think that necessarily happens this year. So um, it's one good, one bad point there, but I think... You know, hopefully he stays on board. I've loved watching his his side and his play calling really grow in the way that he's got, you know, relatively average players before. But while well, I love players like Ferkser and, and people like that to really up their game in the last couple of years, it's been amazing to see. And, and hopefully he stays. But sure, if I was him, I'd probably be taking a job somewhere. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot of money to turn down, that's for sure. No, hopefully he will stay. Um, but let's end in the only way that we know how, uh, and that is with non-Titans related. Uh, Harry, you've not been on for a few weeks, so let's uh, let's get let's get your what's been grumbling in the last few weeks or so. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks very much for all the all the big ups of of me making it sound like I was really talking some good sense today. I had heard a couple. Of, <laughs> I agree with Harry. It really boosted my ego after a few weeks off the podcast. To be honest, lad. <laughs> No, uh, like like you said, I've not been on for a few weeks and, and uh, I'm sure the two listeners of this podcast are very upset about it. Um, but yeah, work's just been mad. I work in hospitality and, and with the um, national lockdown that happened last night, it just provides a few more issues. And regardless of politics or, or anything like that, there's actually um, a really sad spot, not just for, for my business, but also others around the country who have invested in the last few months or hope that that we've gone through the hardship of 2020 whether that's sort of in hospitality or, or any other industry as well and uh, it's it's just so getting really that it's not not come to an end yet and um hopefully it stops soon and everything like that it's not really a, a 
traditional non-Titans related, but it's, it's frustrating for everyone now. And I know I've not played by the rules. Um, I know a lot of people probably haven't either over the best of period and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, it's small businesses isn't, and, and, and um, everyday lives that really do get affected by all of this. And it just sucks. And as great as it is to be able to decorate the house and spend more time with loved ones and stuff, it, it definitely is frustrating. But yeah, um, that was kind of it, really. I don't really know how to finish that one, but it's just gutting. It's so, so upsetting. And luckily, we're able to stay open in some way, shape or form. But it's nowhere near what we'd, what we'd love to be doing as a company. And I'm sure it's the same for so many other fantastic businesses as well. Yeah, um, definitely echo those comments. It's uh, from a small business perspective. It, it must be pretty devastating. But also from a uh, when you see in the US stadiums having 20 30,000 fans granted in stadiums that hold two three times that um you kind of start to wonder i'm not even barely allowed to leave the house apart from an hour every day for for exercise purpose or to pick up medication it's a it seems a bit crazy but we are where we are we're back in back into march again and uh into lockdown three but there you go um neil i think it's been a few weeks for you since you've last been on as well what's been going on in your world yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a gripe about social distancing. I mentioned it in his WhatsApp group this morning. Uh, I've actually, I'm actually blaming social distancing measures on destroying my Apple Watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, is someone, someone nicked it? So, no. Uh, so, place I work, I went over to Gatehouse to get some, some sheets, we call them, but they're like summary sheets, what drivers drop off. And as you're coming back through, it's like quite a small corridor. So a guy were coming back down and I had to obviously back against the wall to give him as much space as possible to keep the two metres distance. Now, obviously, it's a small corridor and I'm six foot two and probably a few too many hot dinners over 20 stone. So, <laughs> so I backed against the wall and leaned into my watch and it's cracked against the wall. But had there been no social distancing measures in place, we could have just happily walked past each other. There you go, see? So I, I've tried to be, you know, COVID secure and smashed a 300 quid watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was one of them things where I could hear the, the sort of cracking and the scratching against the brick wall and I didn't really look at my wrist. Uh, but what's, what's actually happened is it's like, to look at it, it doesn't look cracked. It's kind of gone around all the square face and now... You can't press anything on it. You can't. All you can do is see time. It's, it's basically just a watch now. You can't press it. There's no <laughs> buttons you can press or or anything. And what 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 made me think of this is because uh, Adam wondered why I joined Strava uh, this morning, and I thought New Year, New Me. I'll go for a walk after work, uh, and I thought, oh, I can't use Strava because my Apple Watch. So I've logged in, <laughs> and now nah, everybody on Strava has like seen my profile. And last time I went for a walk was well, like eighteen months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Strava is uh, is a previous non-tines related that, uh, that that I think we had a bit of fun with last time. But yeah, no, I, I actually I actually I'm pretty sure Apple designed their products to just get weaker anyway. So I think all it would have taken was you probably tapping on it a little bit too hard, and it probably would have yeah. switched anyway. I'm pretty sure. Just so you have to buy another one at some point. Yeah, Brilliant. basically, I just just put my hand by, behind my back and leaned against the wall, so we had enough space to go past. And I just heard this, well, this ominous noise, if you get what I mean. 
Yeah, <laughs> we've we've all been there. We've all, we've all dropped phones on the floor or iPads on the floor. We've all been there. Brian, what have you got for us? What's your non-times related this week? <laughs> Mine seems very uh, very small compared to the others, but you know, like you get these packs of bacon, right? And <laughs> they are, they're sealed. And there's a little corner which is there to tease you and let you think that you pull the corner and it'll just open like you do with a packet of ham. But no, not this bacon. It just it's just infuriating. It's it's every single packet as well. <laughs> Doesn't matter what brand you get, it's the same. Why can bacon not get it right? Yeah, because you'd think like obviously the make resealable packs as well in this day and age. No, that. not for me. To be I'm doing a full pack in one go there. I just realised how stupid that sounds. I never need yeah, a resealable pack. Is it excuse for my body, is that? <laughs> You're not using bacon, right, if you need to reseal it. I mean, yeah. that's just, yeah, that's just, that, that should be against the law, if anything. But um, I think, I think Neil, you made this point when, uh, you know, in our WhatsApp group when you mentioned this the other day, Brian. Uh, also, who's using that corner? I mean, no, no one actually yeah. uses that, surely. That's, that's what knives are designed for, aren't they? Yeah, you just stab it. Why Make a little there? slit, man. Why is it there? It's there for people who are like prim and proper and and don't have a knife to hand, or or generally feel like that's the way it needs to be opened. But no, it catches me out every time. Every time. It's there for people in the home counties. That's all it's there for. Just those whoa, people. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Steady, steady. I'm representing over here. We were in tier four before all of you were. <laughs> Miles, what have you got for us this week, mate? Yeah, I was uh, I, I was thinking over things, so I wanted to come out of positive as I found out that Greg was hosting. So I didn't know how negative the podcast was going to be, but um, it, it's gone all right. So I, I reckon I'll have a bit of a moan. Um, the one was very quick, where they were, I found out someone in work was still having leftover turkey two days ago, and I'm thinking, at what point is that turkey far past the point of being able to be used for leftover? Um, but my more important one was, and I know uh, Neil mentioned it briefly before about you know New Year, New Me. I hate New Year's resolutions. And I my, I mean, my dad does them and every year it's probably like give up chocolate or something or people. And the reason I normally hate it is because at a time when I, well, actually this won't affect me this year, but at a time when I was a bit healthier and I would go to the gym, it's a nightmare to go to the gym around like January because everyone's decided they're going to go to the gym and hit it hard and then they stop going in February. But the positive I've just thought of is that every time I go to a Mackey's drive-thru, no one's going to be there because everyone's trying to be healthy. <laughs> so actually, I've realised what I was going to make a really big negative about how much I disliked it is actually coming as a positive to myself. But yeah, I just, to me, it's one that I just don't get it. It's like people coming up with, it's a new year, so let's like, I don't know. Yeah, like walk more, go on my bike more. I won't swear as much and all that jazz. To me, it's just a waste of everyone's time. And it's just, yeah. Speaking of New Year's I, resolutions, I, the, the one the one thing that I have absolutely no time for, and also anyone who agreed to do this this year of all years, now we've gone into lockdown, is dry January. What are you playing at? That's the, it's the playoffs. It, like, who who goes dry in January? It's just ridiculous. Um, and now we're in lockdown as well, so good luck anyone doing dry January because you're going to have a bit of a struggle there. Uh, but yeah, New Year's resolutions. Uh, has anyone ever actually kept a New Year's resolution? I, I don't think I ever have for any longer than about a month. No, I'd, I'd be built like Derek Henry if I had. 
So we could have we could have had Neil. We could have had Neil and Derek Henry uh, running back. <laughs> Uh, so my my t- non tights related is um, uh, so since since we went into our first lockdown, which is ten months ago now, which seems crazy, um, I've had to start working from home. Unfortunate enough that I've not had to go onto furlough or or anything like that, and I've been working from home and I've been basically creating uh, what was a spare bedroom into what is now my work my work office. And my my decision with my work office was that uh, I'd had to get as much Titans memorabilia or my other sports team's memorabilia on the wall as possible. Um, and my gripe this week is, uh, why does it cost more to frame my signed memorabilia than it actually costs for my signed memorabilia? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I, like, I genuinely don't understand why. I, I bought two items from the US, AJ Brown signed items, that cost me, I think, around £200, just over $220, $230, something like that. Um, and it's going to cost me £300 to get to get two frames for, the, for two shirts. It's just ridiculous. And I don't understand why it costs so much to frame something. But apparently you have to do it properly because if you try and do it yourself, you can absolutely ruin the jersey. So I understand there's a, there's a kind of fee for that, but that's just... I didn't know you could ruin a Stevenage jersey. It seems like starting out though. You can, you can, you can, you can ruin, you can ruin a Stevenage shirt by purely just wearing it. Um, anyway, oh yeah, yeah, touche. I do actually have a signed Stevenage shirt from last year's squad, and anyone who follows football over here, so all the <laughs> US listeners, if you haven't turned off already, we had the worst squad in the league and got relegated, and then somehow stayed up by a miraculous uh, other football club deciding to go bust. So I have a signed shirt from that squad. I might have to stick that in a frame at some point, just just for comedy value. Anyway, that's my non-times related. Really keep it though. It's definitely it's not it. worth the fee, is it? It's no, not worth the fee. Definitely. That is that is definitely one I'm framing myself. Put it that way, because if it gets ruined, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, so that's it from us. Uh, look, thank you very much for listening. Follow us as always at transatlantic tn uh, on twitter also come and see us on our facebook group we'll uh, have our game thread up i'm sure on sunday and opportunities for everyone to to have a look through the uh, the amount of or the roller coaster that is a titans game um but thank you for listening follow us on on twitter at transatlantic tn thank you boys appreciate it we'll see you next week tighten up tighten up tighten up